Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Explored. My name's Darius Nomderon, your host. Today I have an author who was a criminal defense attorney for over 20 years and who gave up that career to be a writer full time. And in her second book, the key character, Layla, has dyslexia and it's a key part of the story. And so I thought it would be great to have her on the podcast, even though she doesn't have dyslexia or have dyslexic children, she's chosen to research dyslexia and make dyslexia a key part in this story. I'd like to introduce you to Reina Marder Genten. Reina, it's great to have you here. Thanks for <clears throat> Thank being here. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. So we normally ask guests to tell us their dyslexia story. But what you've gone and done is written a dyslexia story. And so in Dyslexia Explored, we're always interested in, in getting the big picture and getting the story. And so let's dig in and just start where, where did this begin? You know, why did you choose to introduce, why is Layla dyslexic in your story in this, in this children's book? So I would say I always had dyslexia kind of a little bit in the back of my mind. I have uh, a cousin who I, I believe has dyslexia, although we've never really discussed it at great length, but he, um, he was one of five brothers and the other brothers were all very academically inclined Two had PhDs. Um, they had kind of gone on through that path. And he was always in some ways the most successful um, and, and a very big personality, but he always had trouble in school. And, you know, we had spoken about it a little bit, but not at great length. He's, uh, you know, an adult now. We had never really gotten into it. But, you know, I was kind of aware of it. And I've been aware of it here as a, as a parent now living in suburbia with my own children. Um, I knew many families who had one or more children who were being educated in a special school for children with learning disabilities, language-based learning disabilities. Um, but the real thing that kind of happened that made it uh, important for me to put it in the story was uh, I was taking a workshop, a writing workshop on writing for children. And I had absolutely no idea what I was gonna write about. I didn't really have a story in my mind. I didn't really ever try to write for children before. Um, but one of my classmates, uh, who I had known for a number of years from various writing workshops, was, was reading out loud from the work that she was working on. And she was having a lot of trouble reading out loud. And this kept happening over the weeks. And I was kind of surprised, uh, to be honest. I didn't know what that might be connected to. And at some point she told me that in fact she had dyslexia and that she had been working with it and living with it obviously all her life. She's a woman in her 60s. And that that piece of it, the, the reading out loud piece, um, still caused her some difficulties. So I kind of got intrigued about the idea of putting that element into my story. And, you know, without getting too far afield, my, my story develops about a girl who is very frustrated and, um, and is suffering from academic struggles in school. And I was looking for some aspect of why that might be the case that could really cause her to make some decisions that might, might not be the best decisions for her and how she was going to kind of get out of that um, and how she would progress. Um, so that's kind of how I came to dyslexia. Fantastic. Fantastic. You 
use a person in your writing workshop as inspiration, as it were, to find uh, something that there's a key challenge within that story to, to explain a lot of what happens in the story. So how about we use your book, Layla? Uh, what's it called again? I, I fixate my, on Layla. My name is Layla. Oh, my name is Layla. Okay. So your book, My Name is Layla. Why don't you go through our podcast questions and answer those questions in terms of the book itself? Okay. So one of the key things is the your dyslexia story. You know, what what's the tell us a bit about the story? Where where does Layla's story begin? How does Layla discover about her dyslexia? What's her main challenge in this whole story? And is there some sort of reward she gets out of it from facing that challenge? So let's go through those those steps. So where does it all begin? So the story opens the beginning of eighth grade. She's about actually the night before eighth grade. And Layla's the kind of student that's been kind of compensating for her um, difficulties by being just a very engaged student. She's well-behaved. She works well with other kids. She, um, you know, she's polite. And, but she knows in her head that it's going to be another year, like all her years are, that she's just, she's not going to do well. And she, she's not totally failing. So I've kind of put her in a little bit of a gray zone. So she definitely is having reading difficulties. She has uh, difficulties writing. It spills over into math. She has difficulties with some of the conceptual ideas that she ha- that she hears. Um, so she's, she's not doing well and she collects these kind of middling grades. So I would say she's not failing, but she comes home with C's or she comes home with B minuses. And she knows, she feels in her heart that she can do better, um, but she's not doing better. And it's kind of set in a family situation where perhaps it's, it's not conducive to somebody really getting on top of what's happening with her. Her, her parents have split up. Her father left when she was small. Um, her mother works as a nurse and she works the night shift. So her sleeping patterns are off from Layla's. So she's not really there for her in the homework hours or, you know, to really follow what's going on for her in school. And she's, you know, she's slipping through the cracks is really what's happening. And, and I I think that happens with so many things. It doesn't have to just be dyslexia, right? There's so many ways that, you know, you can try as a parent and you're, you're really trying to be on top of things and somehow, you know, things are getting past you or, Um, things aren't going as well for your kid as you think that they should be. So what happens at the beginning of the story is that she, she has a new English teacher and he's never been in the school before. So he doesn't have this notion in his head of what she should be like. And he starts to focus on her a little more and he recognizes that she has potential. He he sees that, um, you know, when she's given the right ways to go about things, whether it's more time or, Maybe, you know, at one point he gives out an assignment that is a poem and each student has a poem that he selects for them to read. And she gets one, you know, with more straightforward language and it's not that long. (laughs) And she can maybe take it home and really kind of attack it in a different way than she would if it were something else that someone didn't notice that she shouldn't be reading the Shakespeare sonnet or whatever it is. Um, So that's kind of the, the, where the setup is and how she starts off. And it kind of is all 
being revved along by the fact that eventually we'll get to the point in the year where they'll have to have the parent teacher conferences mm. and the mother will be told how she's doing. And this, this is very frightening to her. And she, well, she, she cooks up a scheme. I don't know how much, <laughs> how much to give away, but she cooks up one of those schemes that kind of only makes sense in a 13 or 14 year old child's mind <laughs> of how well, she's going to get out of this. So well, you should definitely share that that bit where she. Yeah. Uh, can I share it? Of course. Yeah. So, so she takes. Am I right in this? I've not read the whole story. I've just read some bits of it. Sure. Uh, she takes all of her grade papers, um, that that have got all her grades on that her parents should see, and puts them in the locker, and decides the best thing to do is to burn them. Yeah. Set fire to the whole thing. And she ends up setting fire to the whole locker, and then burns down part of the school. Well, it doesn't get it doesn't get too terrible because I didn't want her to, you know, have any real uh, juvenile delinquency consequences. But it does okay. spread to a few other lockers, and okay, it's not fine. just her own stuff. She's ruined. She's ruined some other some other stuff of other people. Um, but that really, you know, may, it's kind of a classic call for help, right? I mean, it's you know, fire setting can be really dreadfully delinquent and sociopathic <laughs> or it can be sort of you know just help me I you know someone has sending up a flare some, somebody has to help me and you know and it, and it does the trick here and she kind of is able to garner the support of her friends and her family and, and this teacher to to get her on a better path and is that we always ask people, what was the wake up call? What woke you up to dyslexia? And is that the point where she wakes up to dyslexia and the people around about her wake up to dyslexia? Yes. I mean, so certainly the teacher kind of has it in his head that maybe this is what's going on before okay. she gets to that point. And she does this thing. And he says to her, Layla, why didn't you know, why didn't you just come to me? Like, I, I think I get maybe what's happening here. And then you need to be evaluated and we need to see what we can do for you. And, you know, it's that moment where you just feel like, oh my God, if she had just had a little more faith in this teacher and in the system, maybe she could have gotten out of this without doing something destructive. And, and not only was it physically destructive, but the way the story goes, her, her best friend, who's like a real goody two shoes and kind of nobody would ever suspect her of anything. She takes the blame initially for it because she knows she won't get punished. She'll say it was an accident and everybody will believe her because she doesn't have these kinds of issues. <laughs> um, so, you know, she could have avoided that whole, that whole thing if she had just, you know, confided, but you know, how, how difficult that would be for somebody, right? She doesn't, she doesn't know what's actually going on in her head. <laughs> and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't know that there's a way that it can be helped hopefully. And she, you know, she has no idea. And, you know, there, there's kind of a subplot with her brother. Her brother is, is a good student and has no, doesn't have this issue. And, you know, I, I knew from the research that I did that it does often run in families. And, and in the end, we find out that her father has, has had it and has never dealt with it. Um, and that's actually helpful to her to understand that it didn't come out of nowhere and that, you know, and that he has the confidence and faith to say to her, you know what, like I never dealt with this and it's been a difficulty all my life. And I want you to go on a different path to really try to address this. And, you know, it leaves open the question, does, does he then go do something for himself about it? I hope so. But it, it's not explicit in the book whether he actually says, now I get this, you know, um, I'll do something too. But 
Fantastic. So, so she's woke. She sends up this flare. And what's the main challenge that Layla faces in this story? What's her the core challenge she has to face? I guess just kind of being comfortable with the idea that she does have something that she needs to address. And I think one thing I was trying to get at, and one and one thing that I sort of appreciate using dyslexia as an example of this is it's something I always said to my own children and to myself is that everybody has something. Yeah. Right? You, you think, you know, you look around and there's the perfect family across the street. They don't have any issues. And there's, you know, there's a boy in the book that she likes and she doesn't think he has any issues. And then she finds him in the resource center because he's got an executive functioning issue and he's working with the teachers on how to organize his notebooks and how to keep his locker straight so that he takes right the right books home for homework and you know she's always thought he was just great sammy across the street doesn't have a problem in the world because his family all eats dinner together every day at six o'clock and she's being raised by a single mom you know so it's very you know critical i think for all of us to look around and say you know you don't know what's on somebody's plate right you don't know if they are having a financial problem. You don't know if they are having a mental illness problem. You don't know if they have a, a parent with a chronic illness that they're dealing with at home. You, do, you just have no idea. And I think that that's a big part of the message of the book is that, you know, she does have this issue and, and she does, you know, hopefully need to address it and get help. And, and the end is, is a hopeful ending. She, you know, she is doing better, but you know, everybody has something. Yes. Well, do you know what? You, when you said everybody has something, uh, in the last episode, we had a guest on who is an executive functioning coach. Okay. Uh, when you talk about executive function, and, and she's written a book about everyone has something too, uh, a, a much younger children's book. Um, and that's fascinating. I love that. Do you know what? I really want to watch. I, I really want to read this book now, Raina. <laughs> okay, I hope so. I hope so. And I'm sure many of the listeners are thinking, I think I might read this book, you know. <laughs> uh, my name is Layla. We'll put the link in the description below. And where can you get the book, by the way? Um, I, I looked this morning to see where you could get the book. It looks like Amazon in the UK is only on uh, Kindle right at the moment. It will be out. It's going to be out in paperback and Kindle on January 19th but it looks like you can only pre-order the Kindle there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say online. I don't, I don't know where else people order their Great. books online. So she faced this challenge that, that to accept that she needs some help and that everybody has something. So the question is, what reward did she receive from facing that challenge? You know, I think the reward comes in the form of understanding that she had support all around her all the time and she didn't really know it. Um, yeah. I mean, the mother is, is a good person and a concerned mother and she is, is threadbare in some way. She has, she's working very hard and she works double shifts and she's lucky to get, you know, the mac and cheese on the table for them for the night before the first night of school. And at some point, you know, Layla says to her brother, like, don't you think in normal families, the mother is home the first night in school before school starts? And he says to her, you know what, you should be happy that she has a job and we're having dinner. And, you know, she has to understand that there's all sorts of challenges that people are facing. So 
I think by the end of the book, she gets that her that her mother is actually there for her. Her brother has kind of a little side <laughs> angst himself. He's a basketball player and he's hoping to get a scholarship to play basketball in college. And he tears his ACL um, in the middle of the book. And so he kind of, you know, he gets involved in his own things, right? I mean, as I say, everybody's dealing with stuff. And yes. he's kind of, he's kind of not there for her in the way she thinks he should be and the way she needs. And at some point she kind of confronts him. She kind of, you know, she lies down, you know, next to him the way they used to when they were kids and says like, remember when you helped me through this thing? And he was like, okay, like he get, you know, so sometimes you have to ask for the help and it's, it's not easy to do. It's not easy for any of us. Um, Fantastic. Fantastic. I, I hope that's the reward that she pulls out of it. Fantastic. Well, I'm sold. I'm reading it. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. Let's uh, go a little bit behind the scenes then, shall we? You know, I think uh, it's quite interesting that you've... So this is your second book. Right. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what other books you've writ- read, written and what you're going to write. Sure. So the first book I wrote was called Unreasonable Doubts, and it was a romantic legal thriller. And it developed out of the fact that I was a criminal defense attorney for many, many years. So it was uh, it was very much inspired by my work. It was uh, inspired by a, a particular case that I handled um, when I was working at this office. And it had, you know, it, it came easily to me to write because I was, I was very familiar with everything and I had just left my job where I had been for know, almost 20 years. So I was kind of in a certain emotional state, I would say, and it was very kind of therapeutic in a way to kind of get it all out um, on the page. And it's a really fun book. I, you know, I would love any of your listeners to read it. It's not, it has nothing to do with this sort of thing. It's about a young public defender who's uh, lost her mojo, I would say a little bit. She's not sure that she's in the right line of work. Um, And then she gets assigned to a client who she kind of a little bit falls for. Um, So it's, it's very, very different. And the story of this book then. So how long has this, uh, my name is Layla been in the making? So I started writing it in 2017. I had, I had already finished the first book and I, I was awaiting publication of that. And I, really didn't know what I was going to do, as I said. So I signed up for this class. Um, I take a lot of workshops <laughs> and I find that somehow I'm, I'm kind of suggestible. Like if someone says I should write a kid's book, I'm like, all right, I'll try to write a kid's book. So um, it was a great experience. It was a year long workshop and I was able to write a chapter a week for the workshop and then it would get critiqued by everybody else in the group. So, so it was great because by the end of two semesters, I really had a pretty good draft of the book um, ready to go. So yeah, and then, you know, it's it's a long process. I mean, I shopped the book around for quite a while and then eventually a, a publisher picked it up. So so that's coming out in two weeks. And, um, and I actually have a third book coming out in October, um, which goes back to the legal world. The protagonist is a family court judge who very ambitious and very intelligent, but she thinks she's, it's more of a romance. She thinks she's looking for a guy who will accept her as she is. And then when he leaves her, she realizes maybe she has some changing to do, so. 
Fantastic. So this book, you you wrote it in a year in this writing workshop. That's fascinating. Uh, a one-year writing workshop. Yeah, and is the of, goal of the writing workshop to have a book by the end of the year? Um, a lot of people came in with a manuscript already okay. written um, and we would critique it. But as I say, I really, I hadn't written anything else at that point and I didn't really know what I was going to do in there. So I figured I would just take it as a way to, I, I do well with deadlines. <laughs> so I figured I would take it as a way to give myself a deadline. Each week, the story had to progress a certain amount because they were expecting my pages and and it was great because they really kind of went through it and they were learning the story with me. And as I say, one of my classmates had dyslexia. So that was extremely helpful. So, you know, if I said something silly or something that didn't, you know, make sense in her experience, she would say to me, that's, you know, that's not right. And, and actually what was very interesting at the time was a number of people said to me that at least here in the educational system, they didn't think that somebody would get as far as Layla got all the way to eighth grade without really having this focused on more early. So at first I thought this is not going to work because, but then when I started to research and do some reading myself, it seems like many, many people go undiagnosed far, even far later than that into adulthood. So it, it didn't seem as far-fetched as, you know, some people were worried in my class. So. Fascinating. Fascinating. So you got that finished 2017 and then you touted the book around 2018 and it got picked up what a year two year later at least it got picked up yeah probably the beginning of 2020 oh wow how many years of reject how many rejection letters <laughs> lot, did you get a lot of rejection how many i don't even know i don't count anymore but oh, it doesn't matter as long wow. as there's one at the end that says yes you're okay the, so. yeah now why did they pick it up i think the publisher was very moved by it i she i I found out later that she had a child with some kind of learning disability. It wasn't, it wasn't dyslexia. I'm not sure what her child um, was struggling with, but it was something else. And she felt that it really gave a good voice to that, you know, that you don't see that many characters with these kinds of issues in books for kids to read, you know, about themselves. And that, I mean, that's clearly all, you know, it's very important. It's all the rage here now. I mean, getting, characters into books that people can see themselves in, um, you know, is obviously extremely important. And, um, you know, I hope this book will be, have a wider appeal than that. I mean, I, I would love children that are having reading challenges to read the book either on their own or with, with an adult. I think that would be fabulous. I think it's so important for kids to see themselves in literature. On the other hand, I think it's really a good book for everyone because, you know, people need to understand that Again, everybody around us, everybody's, you know, has something that they're dealing with. And if I think, I think it could really sensitize people to, I hope it can sensitize people to other people's issues, even if this is not your particular thing that you're dealing with. Yes. I, I was sorry to interrupt you there. No, it's okay. I, I've, you made me think about a previous podcast episode that we've done here. We, we did a podcast with another author. Now, this author is dyslexic. Okay. And he, he, um, he does uh, horror. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, and one of the things he used is mind mapping to do all the mapping out of the storyline and the structure and so on. And I ask every one of my guests, what's been your experience of mind mapping? 
Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I had not actually heard that terminology. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people who write, you know, do outline. That seems to be an important part of the process. I, I don't actually do it. Um, as I say, I had this experience with writing this one chapter at a time. And for me, that really worked. Like I kind of felt like I understood each week that something new had to happen to her and something new had to move the story forward. But it's a short book. I mean, this is, you know, this is a 130 page book or something. And it's, so it's, it, it wasn't getting all out of hand. There weren't all sorts of characters floating around and there weren't, you know, there was a main storyline that went through. It's, it's not, it's not a confusing storyline. You know, certainly I could see if you were writing something else that was, you know, far more complicated, that might be the way to go. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I've started to work on something new that honestly, I haven't written word one yet, but I, ha I had an idea for it and I'm trying to slow it down the whole process, like to really try to understand the background characteristics of my character. Why does she, what does she think she wants? How does she think she's going to get there? What's the core belief that's not right at the beginning of the book that she needs to grow from and understand by the end? I'm, I'm trying to slow down the process. So we'll see. Thank you. So Often we ask about what advice would you give your teenage self or yourself as a parent? Would you, I mean, you're maybe not in a position to give advice because it's not, but you know, is there anything you want to share on that kind of point? I, I would just say one thing I found interesting about this book is because I didn't have the direct experience with dyslexia for either for myself or for my children, I felt like I was having to reach back to more universal emotions that we've all had, right? And we certainly had at age 13 and 14. And, you know, for Layla, especially, she, she has this experience of very much wishing that her family were more stable and that her father hadn't left. And she has this recurring dream that he comes and he solves all her problems. He comes in and he, you know, he comes, he comes to the door and she lets him in and he sits down and they eat peanut butter sandwiches and he tells her everything she needs to know to get through life in a better way. And I think that yearning for the stability of family is something that we've all had, even if it's not, you know, I mean, I, I was lucky enough, my parents had, were married and I had a, older sisters and the I didn't have that issue, but at the same age as Layla is in the book, my father had his first heart attack and he was 51 and I was 14. And for me, that was an incredibly destabilizing event and he did recover from it, but you know, we all thought he was gonna die. And there was like a whole, I would say a whole mystique around that for the rest of my growing up, right? I mean, you would go somewhere I'd go away to college and you'd be waiting for the phone to ring with bad news. Or you'd think about moving farther away and you wouldn't move far away because how could you move far away? Because daddy's got this condition, whatever. And, you know, I think those kind of universal fears and, you know, desire to have everything be stable and to work out and to, you know, to do well and to have people hear you when you are having a problem. I think those are really universal emotions. And I, I found that I really could connect to that with Layla, even without having the particular um, learning issue that she has. And, you know, is this, who, who would a child with dyslexia enjoy reading this book then? What sort of age range would be it useful for? We had 
told the publisher sort of 10 years old and up. I think that may be a little young. I mean, it does, it does refer to kind of books that at least here in the States, they read in sort of eighth grade. So it's, um, you know, the books kind of go through the story because it's her English teacher that has kind of decided to pay attention to her. So, so some of that might be more relatable to somebody a little bit older. Um, I, I actually, I had a review from School Library Journal, which is the big trade review for um, school libraries. And they said 12 and up. So I think somewhere 11, 12, something like that. Is there an audio version? There's not an audio version yet. But if you could put in a word with the publisher, I would know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would love that, but not yet. Well, I think if, if there's any comment I would make with regard to a book on dyslexia, it has to have an audio version. Yeah. If it's about dyslexia, dyslexias, uh, there, there'll be many of the children who are 12 and 14 who would really like to read this book right. and would like to read this book with their ears. So right. I'd highly recommend there be an audio version made available on Audible and so on. I think, uh, and, and, and it's since dyslexia is uh, often inherited, then the parents who would like right. to read it, the fathers who might have difficulties and so on, are the types who would put it onto Audible and listen to it in right. three or four hours, two or three hours and double speed or whatever, because we often right. need to hear things much faster than we read them with our eyes. Right. And so the audible audio would be fantastic. Okay. I'm going to tell them that you said so. So final question, what tools are in your travel bag for dyslexia? Do you use any gadgets or apps is my normal question. But I also know that you have been quite clever in the way you could possibly use this book. Instead of one person reading this book, You've made it so that maybe a class could read it together and you've put in a little uh, education pack PDF that teachers can use for their children in the class to work through it. And one of them is uh, exploring dyslexia, exploring the different characters. And, and instead of it just being targeting it on dyslexia, it's more of an English book with different exercises that you would normally do in a typical class, but it sort of gently steers the class towards understanding uh, everyone's got something and some children really have dyslexia and understanding dyslexia. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm intrigued by that. Um, so I did have, a, a, she's an actual an educator put together that for me, I, I knew that I would not actually be able to do it myself because at least for here, it's um, coordinated towards the common core um, teaching curriculum because teachers don't they can't really add things to the curriculum that are not going to address specific common core principles. So it does uh, have a, a list of a whole bunch of questions, maybe 20 questions that get towards different aspects of the book. And then it, ha it has some really fun exercises and games. Um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, the book is not out yet. So I haven't had the opportunity to go to any classrooms and engage with the kids myself. And, and it hasn't been um, used yet in the classrooms, but it's got some good stuff. I mean, it has a, a really fun um, exercise called point of view, which takes different aspects of the book and, and, and asks you to talk about how they would um, be written differently or told differently in the story if they were from a different person's point of view. So maybe in the book, it comes from Layla's point of view. Well, how does this look from her mother's point of view? Or how does this look from her brother's point of view? And 
I, I really love that one. To me, that's, um, first of all, it's so interesting just from a writing process question because there are so many ways to tell a story and it's so important to remember that everybody does have a point of view, right? And people are not seeing everything exactly the same way. I mean, Layla can go through and feel that her brother is not being quite there for her. And he, from his point of view, he went through something really significant. He may get stuck here in this tiny town because he can't do his basketball scholarship anymore because he screwed up his knee. And from his point of view, it's totally different. It's not all about Layla. This is also about him. And, you know, so to me, that's a really interesting one. Um, yeah. I like, different I ones. like the mystery bags one where, yeah. you know, you go out and you get some items and put them in a bag, like a basketball or hospital scrubs, a bouquet of flowers. And, You've got to choose what, how it connects to the novel and things like that. Now that right. The dyslexics in that room would get all of those connections, that's for sure. Right. Right. And the two truths and a lie, that's fun as well, you know. So yeah. there's some great, great exercises in there. So That's up um, on my website also, by the way. If any, oh, if, is it? We'll put that in the link. Okay. Yeah, so send that to Zeus, the podcast editor. Okay. We'll make sure we'll put it in the link description. And um, while we're talking, well, actually... To round this pin point off, parents, this might be useful. Who knows? Read the book yourself. Read it with your parent, your child. Read it to your child. Um, let your child read it, maybe. And then, um, if you like it, maybe you could rep recommend it to the teacher. They could incorporate it into the Common Core. And who knows? You could include it in the education learning plan of your child in terms of uh, awareness of your child's difficulties in the class and other children in the class and who knows it might get a few children in the in the class self-advocating for themselves and putting their hand up and saying maybe I'm a bit like Layla and get identified a little bit earlier especially if they've got stealth dyslexia have you heard of stealth dyslexia Raina? No, I, I like the term though <laughs> I mean that's amazing so um, it's coined by the authors, Dr. Brock Ede and Dr. Fernadette Ede in the Dyslexia Advantage book. Uh -huh. Have you heard of this book? No, I, I was mostly looking at the Yale, that one. Uh, yeah. So her name now, but yes. So they, um, there's, a common, <laughs> there's a common characteristic in a lot of people who don't get identified until later in life. Mm -hmm. And that is, they, stealth dyslexia is basically a term for people who have gone under the radar like a stealth mm -hmm. bomber. Yeah. Right. And it's normally because they're more intelligent than average mm -hmm. and their dyslexia is probably moderate mm -hmm. dyslexia rather than extreme dyslexia. So it's still right. significant impact. I've got moderate dyslexia. Okay. I basically got stealth dyslexia myself. I didn't get identified till I was 35. But I had real difficulties in school and, and in law school. I went to law school in Edinburgh University here. Oh, wow. But what happens is they use brute force intelligence and brute force effort to get the stuff done. But it's like driving a manual car in first gear and going up to 70 miles an hour. It's not a good idea. It uses a lot of fuel. It's really hard work. And all you need to do is to learn to go up the gears and all of a sudden you realize you can go 100 with right. half the amount of fuel and half the amount of effort if right. you know how to go up the gears. And so that's stealth dyslexia, basically using 
the higher engine revs of your intelligence to overcome it. But you're not really actually fully utilizing your intelligence. Wow. I think, I think there's so much out there that's like that. I, I hate to keep coming back to it, but to me, there's so many underlying conditions that people don't realize that they could be better and be calmer and be just, just so much out there that you yes. know, if we yes. were a little more self-aware, yes. <laughs> you know. And the, the advantages of being self-aware, the difference between, I find it fascinating that like everyone has something could... Uh, be viewed as a sort of, I don't know, a platitude or a, oh yeah, everyone has something. Yeah, we just muddle along, just carry on. Everyone has something. But actually, if you turn it the other way, everyone has something, find out what that something is, become self-aware, sort out, and then everyone becomes something that they want to be more of. Um, and I think that's the key in all of this, isn't it? And even in the book, it's that how important that self-awareness is, that we all need some help along the way, and we all kind of need to own it. Yeah, listen, it's hard. No, no one wants to admit to not being top of their game, right? In this society, you have to be top of your game. You have to, you know, it's yes. not good enough that I'm at a small publishing company. I should be with a big publishing company. It's not yes. that, you know, everything is a competitive thing and it's, yes. it's sad because it's not it's just not true it so doesn't matter most of it and well Raina thank thank you for um coming on the podcast have you got anything else you'd like to say final things to the to the listeners well I, th- I think we pretty much covered pretty much covered it I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out there with the book I'm looking forward to corona ending and being able to visit schools because right now the schools here are closed and you know we'll we'll see how that goes why don't you finish off by giving us a little reading from the book and a little taster of it and for you know two to three minutes or something like that whatever you think's appropriate and then we'll say our goodbyes after that and okay great okay so i'm just going to read a little scene um what's happened here is that they've uh mccarthy who is her teacher has given a homework assignment and it was supposed to be to write something about yourself. It didn't have to be anything profound. Just, um, he was just trying to get to know the students a little bit. And Layla went home and tried to do it. And after hours of work, she had produced basically nothing. And what she produced on her computer was unintelligible. So she decided to just type up a whole page, page and a half of random letters and she hit submit. And, She's now in the classroom and he's giving back the papers with the grades. I can hear McCarthy talking, but he sounds the way the adults do in those old Charlie Brown cartoons. I catch snippets. Thanks for being so honest. And I've really learned something about you all, but I know he isn't talking about me. I wish to God that I had just written some garbage about feeling like an outsider because I don't play sports or because I don't wear makeup or some other stupid thing. He totally would have bought it and I wouldn't be in this situation, but it's too late for that now. Then McCarthy is in front of me holding out my paper. I don't meet his eyes, but instead take it from him and hold it close to my chest, waiting for him to move off before I slowly peel it away from my shirt and look at the grade. C plus, not nearly as bad as it could have been and no worse than my usual grades, but it doesn't make sense. And that makes my stomach hurt. The bell rings and then there's the sound of chairs scraping 
and everyone talking and grabbing their backpacks. Layla, can you stay a couple of minutes? McCarthy asks. Well, I have class now, I say, hoping somehow that my friend will come to my rescue. Just two minutes and I'll give you a late pass, McCarthy says. No way to argue, really. So I wanted to explain the grade that I gave you on your paper, he says quietly. He sounds kind of apologetic and all new teacherish, and I feel bad for him. It's okay, Mr. McCarthy, I say. I know you're just doing your job, and it isn't such a bad grade anyway. Well, I want to let you know what I was thinking, and maybe you'll be able to let me know if I'm on to something, he says. I don't like the way that sounds, like he's doing some kind of detective work on me. Here's the thing. When I saw all those paragraphs of words that weren't really words, at first I thought you were making an absolutely inspired statement about being an outsider. I thought it was a metaphor that you were saying that when an outsider tries to express herself, she isn't speaking the same language as the people around her, so she can't be understood. That something is wrong with the communication itself. I was going to give you an A. McCarthy is watching me for any reaction, but I'm way too good at this game. No way I'm revealing anything. Even if, as he puts down the theory, it has what mom would call the ring of truth to it. When I don't say anything, McCarthy continues. But then I thought some more about it and I decided it could just be you saying, back off McCarthy, I don't need your stupid assignment and I'm not telling you anything personal about me because it's none of your darn business. And that kind of had the ring of truth too. But I just stay quiet, a stone wall. So I was going to give you an F. McCarthy stands up and goes to his desk and writes out a path so I won't get into trouble in science when I show up 10 minutes late. I don't tell him that my lateness will mean that I'm even more lost than usual and the whole period will be a total waste now. So because I can't tell if you're brilliant or just stubborn, I averaged the two grades and came up with a C plus, he says, handing me the pass. I hope if you deserve the A, you'll tell me and we can take it from there, McCarthy says nodding once at me and then turning his back to write something on the smart board for the next class. On the way to science, I take another minute to throw the C plus paper on the floor of my locker where it lands on top of several other lousy grades from other classes, slowly accumulating until the day I'll have to gather it all together to give to mom for parent teacher conferences. I slam the door shut and walk down the hallway. Fantastic. Fantastic, Raina. Thanks. I think I wish I'd read the book before this podcast um, <laughs> now. Um, I'd give more, but I, I suspect you might have given voice to what dyslexia goes through, maybe even a, in a way that, I don't know, it, it, you've captured so much of it so well just in that little snippet, you know? Fantastic, you know, that, 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 that bit about the stomach nice one so many children with dyslexia have got stomach issues because of anxiety you know it just makes their stomach churn and they're and they feel sick and so on going to bed with anxiety not being able to sleep very well etc you know just those little you've managed to capture so much of those little things in there love it looking forward to reading it Raina. thank Thank you for being on the podcast thank you Okay, guys, uh, that's the end of the podcast. Really enjoyed having you on, Reina. And if you want to know more, look up My Name is Layla with Reina Gentin as the author on Amazon. Read it on your Kindle. Buy the book. 
And we'll put some links in the description below for the study aids and things like that. And if you want to maybe connect with Reina, maybe get her to come and do a reading or get her on your podcast or whatever it is that you do, I'm sure Reina would be very open to spreading the word about the book or maybe even coming to your school or whatever, you know? Thank you so much. Um, so we'll put those links in the in the description below. And if you're interested in what we do here at Bullet Map Academy, this podcast is sponsored, is brought to you by Bullet Map Academy. I'm the CEO of Bullet Map Academy. And what we do is we're basically learning support department for you, a personal learning support department for you, wherever you are in the world. We dial in with online tutors and teach them how to organize their ideas visually so they can um, express themselves uh, using a mind mapping system called Bullet Map. Check us out, come and do a Bullet Map workshop with us and uh, I'm sure it'll help your child. It it transforms families' lives, uh, having a child who can express themselves Uh, in written work and even uh, verbally. So Reina, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, see you in the next episode, guys. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where Dyslexia Productivity Coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me. And if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.